Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, this is Deborah, Guilty Feminists. I wanted to let you know that we are back live at King's Place on the 31st of January, the 14th of February, Valentine's special, but obviously Guilty Feminist Twist, and the 21st of March. Book now for those shows to make sure you get tickets. If you missed out on my stand-up show, I'm doing it next at WOW, that's the Women of the World Festival, at the South Bank Centre on Saturday, the 12th of March. If you're in Dublin or you can get to Dublin, we are at Vicar Street on the 14th of March. Alison Spittle and I will be back for a Guilty Feminist there. Can't wait. And very excitingly, our UK tour starts on the 5th of March in Brighton. Then we go to Nottingham, Oxford, Bath, Cambridge, Northampton, Liverpool, Sheffield, Stratford, Reading, Canterbury, York, Birmingham, Cardiff, Newcastle, Manchester, Glasgow and London. And it finishes on the 1st of October. So check out the website for all of those shows and for dates when we're coming near to you. That's guiltyfeminist.com. Please come. We're so excited to be able to see you. Bring friends. It's going to be a wonderful time. We will also be in Australia and New Zealand in July. We are coming to Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, Brisbane and Canberra. And we're also coming to Wellington, Christchurch, and Auckland. Get your tickets now because Grace Petrie and I are on our way. And you can find ticket links for all of these shows in the podcast show notes or at guiltyfeminist.com. And now on with the podcast. I'm a feminist, but I just found a designer evening bag that I bought on eBay years ago, very cheaply. I thought I had lost it out and I would never see it again. Found it at the back of a wardrobe 
And honestly, Alison, it was better than finding some lost Sylvia Plath poems. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Sylvia Plath poems are great, but you can't put your phone in it. So, you know. I could see, I saw this picture of myself holding it. I was like, I'll never see it again. And it was so beautiful. And I only took it out twice. And it was a designer thing. And I got it cheap off eBay. And uh, and then it just appeared like magic. That's incredible. That That's like finding a handbag down the back of a couch. Yeah. Fiver in, in a coat pocket. Just, <laughs> but this is so much better. Uh, I'm a feminist. But when a fellow female comedian posted that she was on Wikifeet, I felt professionally jealous of her. Oh. Yeah. Are you sure you're not on Wikifeet? I am. I Googled it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm on Wikifeet. What? Yes. I'm so sorry to tell you this, Alison. But it might oh, be there's not enough pictures of your feet out there. There's at least two. I've done, I've done a weird photo shoot where... Um, they didn't like my shoes and I had no other shoes, so I just didn't wear shoes. And you'd think that would be enough. Like, it was, so you're on Wikifeet. Okay, let me have a look now. Alison Spittle, feet, and see what comes up, because it may just be you need to get those up the rankings. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, no, I can see one here. The first thing that comes up is you sitting on, like, a pink chair in a black uh, spotted polka dot jumpsuit. And your feet yes. are quite clear. There's also one here of you in the ocean and your feet are out. There's a few here. So I feel like if some guilty feminist who either likes feet <laughs> or wants to make Alison's dreams come true could make an Alison's Spittle wiki feet post, she'd be really yeah. happy. And listen, we shouldn't aim to be on wiki feet, but I can absolutely no. see why if it's there, you kind of want to be on it. Deborah, like, what is the point of pedicures if it's not going to be recognised in all its glory? <laughs> I, I was look really after pleased my by feet. my rating on Wikifeet. What's your rating? What's I'm your rating? I'm a feminist, but I was thrilled when I found my rating. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast before. Maybe I did, but I don't remember. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what? I was so thrilled because uh, my rating was overall four stars, nice feet. Nice. Five people said I have beautiful feet. One person said I had nice feet. This is how democracy nice. works. Only one person said I had nice, but that's my overall rating. Maybe they have very high standards. Four people said I only have okay feet. <gasps> no Ooh. one said I had bad feet. But two people said I had ugly feet. I don't think they were there before. That's new. No one said I had ugly feet last time I looked. They're misogynist, Deborah. They're obviously... <laughs> they're, they obviously have... Those are people with a personal vendetta against you. And are obviously taking it to WikiFeet. They can't hurt you professionally. <laughs> ah, do you think they're there to find me? I genuinely think it's an enemy of yours, Deborah. It's gone to WikiFeet. I, I've genuinely, um, I've genuinely just come up with an "I'm a feminist," but, um, I'm a feminist, but, uh, I use a, a foot skin remover. It's it's quite like um, a, a an electrical sander except for feet, ah. and I. I bought I bought the one for men instead of the women's one because I thought it would do a better job. It probably would. I though. mean that is true bias. It no, it would though because they've gone mm. and thought, oh well, men will have proper boy bunions like man bunions. There's, <laughs> boy bunions. There's probably the bunions. black and decker foot smoother. <laughs> you know, ours would be like it'll be pink. It'll like take off like a little bit of like oh we don't we don't want to imply you've actually got loose skin on your feet. It's just an yeah. exfoliator. 
So you will have been right to do that. Yeah, for the women's one, it'll just be like a parmesan shaver almost. Like just little, little lovely flakes. Okay, yes, down. exactly. It, people who would like <laughs> Deborah Francis White's feet would also like Lisa Snowden's feet, it says also. And Ooh. she has overall beautiful feet rating, five. She has 622 beautifuls, 174 nices, 125 okays, 24 bads, and 19 uglies. So she has more uglies than me, but she has more ratings and scoring. So I'm a feminist, but Gang, yeah. while you're making the Alison Spittle <laughs> profile, could you just pop over to Deborah Francis White and give me, and you know, I don't normally like to say this, but give me five stars. <laughs> I don't like asking for five stars for the podcast because I think, you know, give it whatever you think. I'm telling you to give it five stars. It was a joke at the beginning of the podcast that I didn't like saying that. Yeah. But now for the feet. Oh, for my like, feet, no. I'm going to go, just go out and go, don't even bother looking at the pictures, gang. <laughs> I need to put more pictures of myself with my bare feet on my Instagram, clearly, because Lisa Snowden's got hundreds yeah. of pictures of her feet. I've only got two pictures. So then people might think, well, I don't really know. I can't really see very well. So Alison and I will do some posting of our feet on Instagram this week. <laughs> if you will make us a profile. I want more five stars. I'm happy with fours yeah. or fives, honestly. I'm not fussed. Okay. Like fours or fives. I don't want okays because that's it, worse than bad or ugly almost. It's like, yeah, it it's is, okay. Yeah. It is, yeah. And indifference to your feet is uh, very bad. I'm not yeah. interested in that. But I don't want anyone to say my feet aren't ugly. Shut up. Like, anyway. We'll, we'll get... We'll get a ring light. It'll be beautiful, Deborah. We'll make a whole foot photo shoot. It'll be amazing. If you think my feet are ugly, just don't go on, honestly. Just don't go on. If you are a sworn enemy of mine, I don't think I've got enemies, but Alison thinks I have, uh, then don't go on. But if you are someone who thinks Deb's fine, she's nice, we like her, she does her best, she tries hard, we should give her a high foot yeah. rating. Yeah. Then please, just while you're there, pop in five stars. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's like that. That'd be incredible. That'd be incredible. You might need to join um, Wikifeet in order to post on Wikifeet. Don't let that put you off. They don't contact you. There's no spam from Wikifeet. Are you sure? Are you sure you won't be like unsubscribed? No, it's just like <laughs> this is the worst confession I've ever made. But I'm a feminist. But I might have joined <gasps> to rate myself. <laughs> I have to join to rate myself. I need to. So one of those fives is me. <laughs> one of those fives is me. Have you rated anyone else? Have you rated anyone else? (laughs) No. Welcome to the internet. I'm a feminist, but I was delighted to read in our guest's book today, and our guest is the wonderful Eliza Reid, that her response to her husband running for president of Iceland was... Now I need to wash my hair every day and look presentable. <laughs> That's true, though. That is a scary thing about being like in any kind of public life. Is I remember once I did an interview, and the person I I think they were filling time, and I really respect them, and I think they're great, and everything like that. Like the person was great, but they mentioned that I wasn't wearing makeup during the interview. And I was like, wow, that's a thing that I didn't think would come up. You know what I mean? And so after that, uh, have you always worn makeup for interviews? Nah, 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 nah. (laughs) I thought that was going to be the story and I was going to be like, no, strike back, Alison Spittle. So I'm thrilled (laughs) that you held your own there. You don't have to wear makeup for interviews. I just presume that person had a word count that they had to get to. And they're like, you know, I'd be in the same position. I used to, but honestly, the pandemic lowered my standards so much. I think really? yeah, I went on television in a pajama top that didn't really look like a pajama top. <laughs> on proper telly. 
didn't look like a it looked like a shirt. Shut up. It was That's fine. Great. I would I honestly would never have thought of going on TV without full makeup and everything. But there were times when I just did a bit of eyeliner and I wear my glasses because that I think they're like a face shield. They're face armor. Yeah, they're beautiful. It's like face jewellery. Like people do always talk to you about your glasses. So yeah. I feel I do feel that it's one good thing to come out of this whole thing is that our standards are lower. <laughs> you know? Our cosmetic standards are lower, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you're lucky I'm here. I'm a feminist, but I was listening to this amazing feminist uh, audiobook that got me so het up and so sad and so angry and agreeing with them on everything that it was too much for me and I went straight into an ice cream shop and bought an ice cream because I couldn't <laughs> handle the truth. Like, I love feminism. I love learning about feminism. But sometimes it's very hard and I just want to stop and, and eat an ice cream. Like That's how I feel about it. I am absolutely sure that feminists mm. sometimes need ice cream because the patriarchy has robbed us of so much else. Genuinely, genuinely, I can't, I can't hear about assault statistics without just reaching for a Ben and Jerry's. I really like, just, I can't do it. I feel like it would be better if the ice cream was by two women. What's yes. the female Ben and Jerry's? <laughs> I don't think you should be reaching for two men. And I hear that Ben and Jerry's are very nice men and they get on board with all the causes and they... Did yeah. th- they do stunts all the time. Like they said in Australia, you couldn't have two scoops of the same ice cream until there was equal marriage. Whoa. And a lot of anti- anti-gay anti marriage Australians were furious with Ben and Jerry's because they'd go in and I'll have two scoops of chocolate. They're like, you can't. You can only have a scoop of chocolate and a scoop of, you know, fish food or strawberry or one of the Ben and Jerry's flavors like, you know, Sofa wax or whatever they're called. Sofa wax. <laughs> None of those. Sofa wax. You know what I mean. They're called they're called yeah. weird things. And uh, I do. They well, they were like, no, you can't have that. And uh, homophobic people got very angry and said, well, we're not supporting Ben and Jerry's anymore. And they went, please don't. Uh, so <sighs> I think Ben and Jerry's are great. I think if you are going to support two male ice cream makers, Ben and Jerry's are the one to support. Right. But okay. if you could find a Benjamina and Jerry's with a G. What about Jen and Jerry's? But Jerry's with a G, like Jerry from Succession. Jen and Jerry's. Jen and Jerry's. We need to get Jerry Halliwell and uh, let's see who else is there. Who is the Jen? Jerry, uh, Jerry Halliwell to... and Jennifer Aniston could team up on an ice cream. Or Jennifer Lopez. Ice cream? Yeah, Jennifer Lopez and Jerry Halliwell. It'd be beautiful. Do you know what? Ben and Jerry's are so yeah. progressive. If we went to them with this... And we said, you need a flavour called Jenna Jerry's. You think they'd go for it? Yes. And we wanted what for we International put into Women's it? Day. International Women's Day. Let's put in, uh, what, what ingredients would we have? Like uh, men's tears? <laughs> would that be a legit? <laughs> I kid. I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's... Um, yeah. The, the raspberry swirl could represent the blood of the patriarchy. That kind of thing. Oh, Deborah, talking about the blood of the patriarch in Eaton, um, I, I went to do a wonderful gig for Bloody Good Period uh, charity, uh, and they had some waffles that, that were available, and uh, the waffles were shaped like penises and vaginas, but it was all covered in uh, raspberry sauce. And I won't lie, I ate the penis, I didn't care much for the vagina, because they all had sprinkles on a vagina, and it was just like, just that bit too much. We are not going to do better than that. And now, <laughs> on with the podcast. Yeah. From a 
variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom. The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Alison Spittle, and our very special guest, Eliza Reed, talking about getting on with the job. The Guilty Feminists, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Alison Spindle, and we're talking about getting on with the job. Well, today, Alison, mm. our guest, who yes. we're soon to introduce, has had to get on with the job of being First Lady of Iceland because her husband became president. But Iceland is the best country in the world by all the metrics that they do to live as a woman. So, firstly, you're wow. like got this kind of odd job where you're like somebody's wife but of course you can do something with that opportunity because you have a platform you have access to funds and you can direct things so I'm very interested to see how she's gotten on with that job because she's just written an excellent book that I have had the privilege to pre-read about Iceland about she herself was raised born and raised in Canada she she herself was born and raised in Canada. I wanted to say she was Canadian. And then I thought, I, I don't did. know how she identifies because she might say, oh, but I'm Icelandic now. So I was going to yeah. say Canadian. And then I went born and raised in Canada. And I realized what I'd said. And I was like, Alison will be too like polite to point it out. We'll just push on. <laughs> I know. I mean, who am I to speak about mispronouncing stuff? <laughs> I, I just thought we'll... Blame Canada. Blame Canada. Um, anyway, she came from Canada and then went yes. to Iceland. Uh, yeah. Ooh. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm very interested to hear how she's gotten on with that job because that's a job that's sort of, in some ways, and she has her own job as well. She's an incredible writer. Yeah. And that job was sort of imposed upon her. But then, of course, it's a great opportunity. So I'm interested in hearing about that and Iceland. I also think feminism is a job we've just got to get on with. Yeah, yeah, it is. And sometimes it can be sometimes it can be labor intensive. And it's in addition to our other jobs. Yeah, yeah. It's quite tiring. I'm tired, Deborah. I I but like th- this lady's life, she sounds like an Anne Hathaway film or something. Like I would option her life Ooh. as a film to be like <gasps> you know. First lady. First lady's night. I don't know. That's a terrible, terrible title. That's a terrible, yeah. That would be a but terrible film. I see what you mean. I do see what you mean. Yeah. Where the job is imposed upon you and you don't necessarily want it. Um, mm-hmm. I absolutely get that. No matter your gender, if your spouse becomes something and then that title is imposed upon you, it's very, you know, you could love it. You could hate it. You could make something of it. You could not want it. You could be like, no, nope, I'm getting on with my own stuff. You go be that. You know, if I'm sitting next to you, I guess I'm that, but I don't want that. So I'm very interested to see how Eliza has taken that role, although I know some of it because she's written a book. Um, yeah. Well, because, like, I I find it hard now to, you know, I uh, the other week I was trying to get an email of someone and I knew I met them with their boyfriend and I know their boyfriend better, so I remembered his name, but I couldn't quite remember her name. And I was chatting to someone. I was like, do you remember that lady we met? And I didn't want to say, she's this person's boyfriend. So I was like, oh, she smokes fags. Like, that was the only other thing that I could, like, think of. And it made me, you know, and then eventually she went, oh, you mean this person's bo- girlfriend? And I was like, yes, that's who I mean. You And he, he makes you feel very patriarchally silly. Yes, when way. you say, oh, his wife, uh, as opposed to, she's a human being in her own right. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But she's also that person's girlfriend. And it's very hard to... Yes. 
indeed. You know. Yeah, but if that's Ooh. how you know her, if that's how you can identify her, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I see why you want to avoid it. Um, yeah. Have you ever been in a position where you've had a job to do that you've just had to get on with? Yeah, a few. Oh, I worked as a, a waitress in a wedding company. And uh, one day I was bringing over champagne glasses to a bride and a groom. And I smashed all of the crystal champagne glasses in the middle of the, the dance floor. And then just started crying. <laughs> uh, and they did a whip around to make sure that I didn't get sacked. But I still got sacked. But I still had to work that day, even though I was crying. So I was getting on with the job. But I was also like mortally wounded that I may have ruined this woman's re- wedding. But when I think about it, she was really cool about it, and she was really nice. And I think if you're a bride, you kind of wanna you kind of wanna show the bridal party that you're chill, and that you know things happen. And uh, I gave her a great opportunity to do that, and she was great. Do you think when she sees you on television, she knows who you are? Does she go, "Oh, that's the waitress that"? That ruined my wedding. wedding. She's now got her own sitcom in Ireland or she's now on this chat show or or panel show. Yeah. I don't know. I I remember I spent, because they showed Love Actually on DVD in the toilet uh, because they were outdoor toilets, but they wanted to make it posh. So they had a mini DVD player of Love Actually. And I was just hiding in there crying, looking at Martine McCutcheon. That's the bride who's put a lot of thought into her wedding. What's the experience yeah. of going to the portal like? What if we made it romantic? What if we had love actually playing? She's really thought about every aspect of her wedding. So she imagined her wedding 50,000 times. That's all I can tell you. And at no point did she imagine you smashing the champagne on the dance floor. So I reckon she remembers you. I reckon she knows. And when she sees you, but now, because you've yeah. got a profile, I've done very well, she probably, it's given her an extra story. It's like, and Alison Spittle was the waitress at our wedding and funny rom-com <laughs> story, smashed the champagne. It's a shame you didn't meet a man there because then that would have been a Love Actually story. It would have, but it would have been hard in a portaloo because that's mostly where I hid. I'm like, you know, imagine I meet cute in a portaloo when we're both in the same. Listen, if Richard Curtis is listening, hello, Richard, we love yeah. you. Alison Spittle would love to be in one of your movies. If you're doing another mm-hmm. rom-com anytime soon, she would like her meet cute to be in a portaloo. These are just suggestions. Yes. But in the portaloo, Love actually could be playing on a mini DVD player. And so what you could do is reference one of your movies in another movie. You already did that in Love Actually because you had the uh, Love is All Around Us song, but sung uh, as Christmas is all around us. So you're open to the idea is what we're saying. Oh, yeah. And if it's in a portaloo, instead of love is all around us, it would be the smell of uh, raw sewage is all around yes. us. If it could fit that into a song, it would be beautiful. More and more I feel we're doing <laughs> Richard's job for him. He, this is writing itself, Richard. Is that going to make any money? No, no, very much no. not. But we are, we're doing, you're very busy with a lot of activism and uh, incredible work that you're doing. You you need, you need us to just fill in those gaps. Um, have you ever had a first lady position? Like your boyfriend has had a job or been the guy and then you feel a bit plus one-ish. You feel a bit like, oh, and now I've got to make an impression and I'm, I'm the plus one. Maybe the nearest to that would be going to funerals with him and with his family. His family are amazing. But like uh, I've definitely because you're the plus one, you're not the main mourner. I didn't know the person that died. <laughs> the main mourner. See, the main mourner. Do you not oh have that? Oh my now? god. 
a mourner of honor or whatever. You know, there's that. I I love I love funerals. I love funerals as much as I love weddings. I can plan Ireland's them, big on you know? funerals. Yeah, it's there's a yeah. much bigger on funerals, and also because you have the wake, which is a very Irish concept. Afterwards, this big piss up afterwards. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's like um, it. I think I, Ireland's attitude towards death is really quite healthy, um, and and like uh, I I remember, so I had someone close to me that died, and he had so many family members that you know the way that you you have to shake someone's hand, and normally like it's just the front row. Well, the main members of his family were so vast that it actually went out into the car park. So you started off your handshaking in the car park and then moved your way into the actual venue itself. Is this at a funeral? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was you like, have to like, shake like a, a hand. Um, this is, this is a, I'm sure, an Irish thing. Yeah, it's the removal, it's called. So it's like the day before the funeral itself and you you shake the hand of the... You, you never do that. You shake the hand of the family member. This is, we do not I have mean, the removal. I've never heard of it anyway. Oh, mate, there's the thing where you have to stay the night with the... So the body is kept in the house the day before. And if you're really close to the, that person, you, you you have a sleepover with the coffin. Now, this is like, you know, when you and I do shows together at Vicar Street in Dublin, which yeah. we are doing soon. We are doing oh. soon, yeah. You, this is the kind of thing you say to me on stage and the whole audience is laughing because I'm mystified and I never know whether you and they are winding me up and you're making this up. And if that's the joke, or whether it's just funny because I don't know the Irish way, but this does sound no. a lot like that—the sleepover with the yeah. with the dead body the night before with the dead body, yeah. Like you, you know, you're just you're just kind of keeping it company. It's a genuine thing. It's like, uh, but how do like so? I when I'm when I'm at a funeral with my boyfriend and his, his family, I do the washing up. I I I really go in. And I really volunteer myself for all the menial jobs and I love it. I once, once actually, my my boyfriend's family, they're so supportive of me and my career and they're so lovely. And uh, they were doing this thing in Donegal. There's different traditions in different parts of Ireland. But there was this time where they had like almost like a talent show. It was my, my boyfriend's gran. And everyone is so musical in their family that someone was doing a song and someone else did a, a song. I had a funeral, there was a talent fiddle. show. This yeah. is the most thing I've I ever heard. Well, they asked me, they said, go on up and do a few jokes there. So I had to do a stand-up no. gig surrounded by my in-laws, <gasps> like, at a wake. And it was, uh, they were really lovely, really lovely gig. <laughs> but, you know, most of my, I was just trying to think of some jokes that didn't involve hand jobs or something. I didn't want to, you know. So I was desperately going through material. Yeah, because you but, can't uh, do hand jobs at a funeral. That's not that's no, not the appropriate material. That's not Irish tradition. There's a lot of you know. <laughs> I mean, what about you? Have you ever felt like a plus one? Well, I always worry that Tom is the first gentleman, and that when we do the guilty feminists yeah. together, people go, "Oh, and Tom Salinsky." So I don't know that I have been, but. I might, some of the things I read in the book, I might be interested because I think that the first lady or the first gentleman or the first person, mm. the first spouse, I guess, uh, probably has a lot of free reign. People are kind of grateful for what they do. They're not elected, so they're not beholden. I think it might be secretly a great job. So I'm very excited to meet our guest today. Mm. 
Our guest today is a journalist, editor and co-founder of the annual Iceland Writers Retreat. In 2016, she became First Lady of Iceland and in that capacity, she has been active in promoting gender equality, entrepreneurship, innovation, tourism and sustainability and the country's writers and rich literary heritage. Her upcoming book is called Secrets of the Sprakar, Iceland's Extraordinary Women and How They Changed the World. Please welcome to the Guilty Feminist Podcast, Eliza Reid. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, Eliza, we're so happy to have you on the show. Iceland is thought to be, by all of the metrics, the best place in the world for women to live. Is that true? That's what people say. We've topped the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Index for the past dozen years now. But I don't think you'll meet a single person in Iceland who says that that means that we have achieved gender equality or are there. We're just the closest, but we're still a ways away. I mean, that makes sense. It's not some kind of nirvana, but (laughs) still best is still good. You're still a model for us. Alison and I are from, I'm from Australia. Alison's from Ireland. We both live in the United Kingdom. Mm. So we're probably looking to Iceland as some kind of icon, iconic place for women. Is that right, Alison? Oh, absolutely. That and the spas. I'm sure like it's a nicer place to live for women if you can have a hot bath occasionally. (laughs) Genuinely, I live in London and I've no bath and uh, it's the biggest thing that I miss in life. And I feel that my life would be a lot better if I had access to laying in some hot water. I presume that's what happens, is it? Alison, you can come round to mine and have a bath. <laughs> I feel I feel that that would be like pushing the boundaries of our friendship then. No, no, I'd love, think... that. I'd love that. In fact, I'd set it up for you. I'd, I'd run the water. I'd put a candle. Ooh. I've got to put some nice bubble bath in there for you. Next time you come that. around, I'm going to set it up with a robe and everything. Um, but Eliza is a busy woman. Mm. She's not here to fantasize about our bath times. <laughs> Uh, so I want to come to you, Eliza, and say, I'm fascinated by the title of your book. I've had Mm -hmm. the privilege and pleasure of having a sneak peek because it's not out yet. And so I've been sent one of those downloadable ones. So I've, I've looked through it and and read some of it. It's so interesting. Uh, could you tell the listeners what the secrets of the Sprakar mean? Absolutely. So Sprakar is a very old and obscure Icelandic word that means outstanding women. And when I was thinking of the title for the book, I, I wanted to kind of uh, evoke like that Danish word hygge that we kind of introduced that means coziness. I wanted to introduce English readers to an Icelandic word that we didn't have in English and, and found this word sprakar, outstanding women. And it was pointed out to me afterwards, which I think is a good thing, that if you think in English, um, you know, this is an, an Icelandic noun that describes only women. And if you think of the English language and are trying to think of words we have in English to describe only women, there aren't too many that are positive. I actually can't think of any. And, and just the fact that this word exists in Icelandic, I think, says something about gender equality. That is, that is so true. I've never, that's never crossed my mind. I think in English we tend to do we tend to add a little twist to the end of a word to make it somehow diminutive. So uh, we have the word comedian. You and I are both yes. comedians, but then some people say you're a comedian, and it's a bit like saying you're a lawyerette. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's 
It's like a, it's a little, it's a cutesy ending mm. to a word to say, I mean, you're like a comedian, but no one's going to take you that seriously. So let's make it sound cute and adorable. And so I really like the fact that uh, there is this word in Icelandic mm. that is like remarkable women. Is there an equivalent for remarkable men, Eliza? That's what I need to know. No, not that I'm aware of. I confess that I'm born and raised in Canada. So Icelandic is not my first language. So mm. it's uh, possible, but not not that I'm aware of. So it's not famous anyway. It's not famous. Now, this word, sprakar, wasn't famous either in Icelandic. It's an old word that I've kind of tried to re, you know, bring back again to the vocabulary. So I think, you know, in English too, we like to absorb a lot of words. So Icelandic gave English the word geyser and, um, and berserk. So I feel like we should also give English sprakar. Excellent. Sprakar award for remarkable women. I love this. Yeah, it's uh, better mm-hmm. than ladef. Like Ledet was a, a word <laughs> yes. that English people tried to make happen in the nineties, and thank God, still it's not in the lexicon. Now. That's right, Ladet. <laughs> Ladet. I'd forgotten about Ladet, which means uh, Eliza. If you weren't around in Britain in the nineties, uh, oh. I don't know if you know this word, but it's a word for a woman who'll drink a man under the table, but then when she's down there, she might as well. That was. That was. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, that's that's not the official definition. I've just made that up, but it basically is. It's is, a very triggering word, Deborah, isn't it? It's a triggering word, Ladette. Yes. And yes. again, it's a bit like lawyerette. It's like, she's a lad, but, <laughs> oh, doesn't she look good in a miniskirt? Doesn't um, she have a wig well? Like, you know, that type of lawyerette to me would be like, just maybe a longer wig or something like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's like that those words, as you said, like lawyer and lad are the, the main normal words, quote unquote. And then the female versions are the abnormal yeah. default added exactly. on words. There's very few of those words the other way around. The only one I can think mm-hmm. of is widow and widower. So the widow is the, the female mm-hmm. and the widower. And that's because a woman being widowed was yes. a, a much bigger problem because women were not allowed to earn their own money and were owned by men. So mm. uh, it's not it's not a great one uh, oh. to have the, the central ownership of. I'm loving this podcast so far. I'm just going to make faces constantly going, wow, <laughs> my mind is being blown. <laughs> uh, what were your impressions of Iceland when you got there? Was it clear mm-hmm. that there was gender equality and these other sorts of equalities were on the agenda? Mm-hmm. Well, I um, moved to Iceland in 2003 and between living and growing up in Canada and um, living in Iceland, I spent several years in the UK, actually in, in the prime Ladette oh. years. Really, <laughs> um, of what years, late, what of years were you, you? You went to Oxford, didn't you? Mm-hmm. What I was, yeah, so I'm in 1998 to 2003. We were in Oxford together. I was there 97 oh to 2000. <gasps> So we'll we'll have to take this offline and have a discussion. Oh <laughs> my god! I read today you were at St Anthony's, but I didn't know we were there together. I was at Harris Manchester, and Matt Hancock was there with us. Now, okay, Eliza, do you know who Matt Hancock mm-hmm. is? Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay, so he's not famous outside the UK for because okay. there's no reason he would be, but uh-huh. he was our health secretary at oh, okay, okay. at peak lockdown in COVID. And he had an affair. He had an affair. With somebody who he was at Oxford with, who now was working as a special advisor, even though nobody really knew why she was in that position. Mm-hmm. No one could really figure it out. 
And they got caught on a camera that somebody set up in a Machiavellian way to get rid of him. Mm. And the reason he went down was not because he had an affair, but because the camera that caught them kissing showed that they were breaking the lockdown rules by getting too close. I mean, they really were too close for COVID because their tongues were in each other's mouths. And I think you can catch COVID that way. Yeah, if you you touch each other's bums, you know, that is breaking. You can't do that past two metres. That did make the news here. That did make the news. Oh, did it? It did. I had forgotten his name. So you do know who that is. So we were there with him and I never, I don't remember him. He was, he was involved in, in a student radio station that then had this massive scandal because mm-hmm. they did some very dodgy things, the kinds of things our government does. I don't know that Matt Hancock did any of them, to be fair, but mm-hmm. uh, and the, it got fined and shut down by the radio authority. Anyway, okay. so wow. we... I love these stories. My college was behind the Tesco's. That's the... <laughs> that's the... <laughs> um, well... Well, you you know, so I was only at Oxford for one year because I was doing a master's degree. And I feel a little bit because I was at St. Anthony's, which was uh, a graduate and and it was very international that I, I sort of moved to the UK after I graduated from Oxford. And then I was working for a company and I lived in, um, in South Sea in Portsmouth for a while. And then I lived in Basingstoke. Wow, Basingstoke. Uh, mm-hmm, You've mm-hmm. been everywhere. This is an, an incredible adventure. I I I feel no. I'm going to offend everyone from Basingstoke now. But I feel like going going from Oxford to Basingstoke. No disrespect right. to Basingstoke, which I'm sure is a no. wonderful place. It, it, did you do you feel you went the wrong way round? Well, you know, it was. I feel like I got to know different parts of the UK than from when I was at Oxford. But it was the time, you know, when Heat magazine was launched. So I used to kind of I used to read Heat sort of voraciously and. Uh, Big Brother was launched for the first time and then I and The Office so you know I used to and Basingstoke also has a lot of roundabouts in the way that um, where was The Office was it in Slough Slough yes Slough that's right so I felt like it was quite similar in some senses so I would watch The Office and then I would feel kind of like I'd been working also into the into the evening on the Monday evening. Okay. And then I remember um, binge watching EastEnders one weekend <gasps> wow. because I thought, you know, everybody would talk about it. And I had no idea, you know, who Mel was and who Phil was and all these. So I kind of just made myself get into it so I could have the have the conversations. I feel that you were in Britain during the pinnacle of Britain uh, <laughs> culturally. And, uh, you know, there's nothing. They, I think you you know the psyche of this country. You do. Like, yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> you As do. Per- if, Heat magazine, by the way, if you're young mm-hmm. and you don't know what it was, it was a poisonous magazine where they would find celebrities like on the beach, take a papped picture of them and then put a red ring around their cellulite. And, like yeah. go, look, this celebrity who you think is, you know, beyond human actually has this tiny patch of cellulite and they would they would pillory women. I mean, you would never, would. nothing in heat now would get by anyone. No. Uh, it's just absolutely awful. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, even some of the biggest misogynists in the UK would now go, if you gave them an issue of heat, would go, that's a bit far. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It would have pages where it go, look at this weather lady and her audacity to sweat for her clothes. What a disgusting <laughs> <Yeah>. human being. <laughs> oh, how dare she? Have I can't believe that we are talking to a legit politician. Like, a, you know, a, well, like, you know, about about Heat magazine. This is amazing. <laughs> it's, well, it's, you know, it, we, we got onto it because you asked me, you know, if it was different 
when I moved to Iceland, that was different than growing up in Canada. But I had this 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 period in the UK, which uh, I loved living in the UK, and there's lots of wonderful things about it. But I also um, maybe when it comes to gender equality, I saw things even more starkly, I think, than when I moved to Iceland, because I was less often, you know, confused for the secretary in meetings or. Right. Or, uh, yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It, how is it, can I ask being a first lady, because that whole idea of that feels problematic for a feminist. And and I read the article that you wrote in the New York Times where you said, I'm not my husband's handbag, so I'm not this plus one. And I think the mm-hmm. role of first lady is like, oh, you're the first lady, stand around and be a lady, make him look like uh, a loving man who mm. is human. Like it, it humanized the leader for us. Oh, Prop well, up his a genius. woman has agreed to live with him. He must be a real person. And it it's difficult because you're not elected. So, you know, Hillary Clinton did so many different initiatives and things. And everyone went, well, you're not elected. Why are you doing all this? Then obviously not a fan of the last first lady of the United States of America or her husband, but she got pilloried for not doing enough. Where are you? Why are you not out there doing stuff, changing lives? That role, I think, is laden with difficulties, whereas I think a lot of the prime minister's uh, wives or husbands in the United Kingdom, they're just sort of expected to get on with their job. Like, you never see them. You never hear from them. Like, you know, I suppose the most famous one of recent times was Sherry Blair, but she was off being a lawyer, she was like mm-hmm. quite high profile, but she wasn't like standing near her husband. Can you mm-hmm. tell us about the burden of that role and the advantages mm-hmm. of that role, if any? I mean, absolutely. As you said, there's there's a lot of expectations, but because there is no handbook or rule book, you can also kind of mold it the way that you want it to be. Um, to give you a very quick little uh, lesson in in um, 
Iceland a governance in case listeners aren't completely familiar with that. Uh, Iceland does have a president, but uh, it's a fairly non-political role. So the president of Iceland doesn't belong to a political party, although the position is elected. So there is a prime minister here who is the head of government, who uh, has most of the uh, political power and represents a political party. So our prime minister here, her husband, again, isn't as visible. And when my husband, who is a, an academic by background, became elected president, uh, it was all very sudden. It really happened in a period of about six weeks, to be honest. So we went kind of from just having our regular everyday lives to him being elected the head of state. And it was very strange all of a sudden to be moved from being Eliza Reed, who worked as a freelance journalist and ran a writing retreat, to all of a sudden uh, Goodney's wife and, and almost kind of losing my own name and my own identity. And you became well-known because of who you were married to rather than who you were as a person. And I knew always that I was so fortunate to have this opportunity to be able to serve, to be able to speak up. And I knew that I would have a bit of a platform, that when I had something to say, if I had something to say, that people would listen. And I'm really a, a rule follower, I think, by nature. And so when I first came into this role, I thought, well, what am I allowed to do? Am I, am I allowed to talk about Something, am I allowed to talk about gender equality because I only have this platform because of something my husband achieved? There's, mm. there's too much irony in that. It's, it's, I can't do that. Um, but, you know, then I thought, well, there's, if there's no handbook and there's no rule book, then I should be able to shape this the way that I want. And the way that I want to do really is to kind of defy any expectations or stereotypes about what the female spouse of a male head of state should be doing. And as, as I mentioned in this op-ed in the New York Times, which again, I thought at first, am I allowed to write an op-ed in the New York Times? And, you know, and I just thought, well, I won't tell anybody, I'll just write it. And then they'll find out when it's published and we'll see what happens. And I, I wrote this line about, well, I'm not my husband's handbag to be you know, grabbed as he runs out the door and displayed silently by his side at public appearances. And when I wrote that first draft, I sent it to a few friends and all of the women said, oh, that's so funny. That's the best line there. And all of the men said, oh, if you need to cut it or tighten this piece, just take out that handbag line. It's, wow. it's not very interesting. Um, and it's somehow, it's, it's really kind of, it's a clunky metaphor, but somehow it resonated with people because although there maybe aren't that many people who are married, you know, married to a head of state, there are a lot of women who are somehow better known as uh, a man's wife and, and somehow lose, even though they're proud of being married to that person, somehow lose their identities a little bit. Yeah. So obviously in the grand scheme of things, these aren't particularly huge changes, but I've really tried to uh, just change a little bit the expectations of what I should be doing. So if my husband gets an invitation to attend an event and it's an invitation for the president of Iceland, then I don't attend the event, you know, unless there's an invitation for the two of us. And when we redecorated the presidential residence, I thought, you know, I don't have a personal interest in decoration and, and that's such a sort of stereotypical spousal thing to do. So I didn't have anything to do with that. Do you have to do the Christmas decorations? I know that's a huge thing in America. It's like, oh, lies are on the Christmas decorations and the first lady could come no. under great fire. I mean, to be fair, Melania Trump's were bizarre. They were like, like <laughs> night of the dead. But uh, it is a bit like, who cares? Like it's. Yeah, so Christmas decorations, what does it matter? It's so cosmetic. Would a first lady typically be expected to do that? Well, there hasn't. So my husband is the sixth president. And um, really, there was uh, sort of more um, 
traditional, quote unquote, first ladies up until 1980, when we had the world's first uh, female head of state who was a single single mother, unmarried. And, and then, uh, so there haven't been quite as many uh, examples for this, but I always look at this role, you know, because there is no handbook, I don't have to do anything, quote unquote. Uh, so if I loved Christmas decorations, then I would probably do the Christmas decorations because I enjoy it. But I look at everything um, as a choice that I get to make myself as to whether or not I want to take part in it. See, I'm a feminist, but if I were first lady of anything, and they gave me a decorating budget. I would be like, you'd love it. Bring in the interior <laughs> the four corners of my kingdom and have them display their wares before my feet, so I may choose. I, I don't. I shouldn't be in this position because I would abuse it. I would redecorate every six months. I mean that Boris Johnson wallpaper scandal that we've had. If you don't know about Eliza, don't worry. Yeah. You know by just hearing. Oh, that would be the least of anyone's problems. I would be so much worse than that. Um, if I so was the first I, lady of Iceland, I'd be terrible. I'd put bath bombs in every geezer and stuff. I would destroy <laughs> the environment, probably. <laughs> bath bombs in every geezer is not the way to win the election, is no. what I'm saying. Uh, it shouldn't be a main slogan. Let's get into the nitty gritty of Iceland and its gender equality. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what Iceland does Mm-hmm. with parental leave and mm-hmm. benefits. I can I can tell you a little bit just from my own experience. Mm. Um, so my husband and I, my husband has a daughter now who's an adult daughter from his first marriage. And we have four children together who were born at pretty much exact two-year intervals. This was not an ambition of mine when I was growing up. Um, and we had these four children in just uh, just under six years. And at the time, my husband was working as a lecturer at the university, and I was working as a freelance uh, copy editor and copywriter. And as you can imagine, neither of those is hugely lucrative uh, careers, but we had this large family and we both worked full time and we were able to do that because of the excellent supportive system for parents here that encourages both parents to be in the workforce. So... Um, both parents, when I had the children, there was a nine months of state paid parental leave, which is sort of on a use it or lose it basis. So one parent would get three months, the second parent would get three months, and then the third, uh, three months could be split between the parents as they wanted them to. The idea being that it encouraged both parents to take, uh, the leave to which they were entitled. And that's, that scheme has since been expanded to 12 years since, since I've stopped having my children. 12 years. Sorry, could you imagine 12 months? I was going to say, take the first 12 years of your kid's life off. It's paid for, don't worry. Listen, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. 12 years is probably what it needs. Uh, But I was like, wow, that is impressive. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know, but I think I would rather go back to work maybe than be at home with my four kids for the 12 years. Oh, my God. 12 12 years with four children, it's too much for anybody. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Um, And then there's really subsidized childcare as well. So... You know, by the time my fourth child was born, I had I was at home with the baby uh, taking my maternity leave. And then I had two who were in full time preschool. And then I had one who was in the first year of, of school. And, you know, because there's so much sub, because it's cheap enough to begin with, because there's heavy subsidies for having siblings, even if somebody is already at home on their maternity paternity leave, they would still have the other children be paying for them to be going to preschool 
um, or after school programs simply because of the cost. And that's that's a big advantage to encourage people to go back to work and also to encourage fathers to take an active role in the upbringing of their children. That's incredible. But like, how did that happen? How how does Iceland have these conversations? And like, we've, there's different countries that deal with stuff in different ways. In Ireland, we love a referendum to get like a abortion rights. It was quite a long process and quite a very public process. But in Iceland, how is that process handled? Like, how, how do you discuss it as a country? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you look at the time right now, I think as a society, we've kind of moved past the tipping point of debating whether something like gender equality is is important to try to achieve and just debating how do we achieve it. So I don't think within the political mainstream, you would see, for instance, parties saying, oh, we should cut back on this or why should we be using tax money to support this? But I think if you look um, a few decades back, of course, people had to fight for this. And one of the big moments that in in relatively recent Icelandic history took place in 1975 when the women of Iceland took, uh, it's called the Women's Day Off, but was effectively a strike that was organized, obviously in pre-social media days, but people just spoke to each other. And they wanted to highlight the differences in terms of pay inequality between women and men. And women said, all right, you know, we're just not working today. And that means that I'm not showing up to be a flight attendant. It means I'm not going to be teaching at the school. It means I'm not going to be a bank teller. It means I'm not going to cook for my family or look after my children. And 90% of the country's women took the day off. And, you know, the country shut down predictably. So, um, you know, they couldn't run the airplanes. The banks had to close. The schools were closed. All these men were, were doing work, brought their kids to school. And that I think not only showed that the country shut down without women's involvement, but it also kind of inspired women and other people to say, you know, we can really make a difference if we have our voices heard and if we speak up. And that kind of steamrolled into eventually having the world's first democratically elected president into developing a, a women's list party in parliament. So we have this party list system. So that just increased the number of women who were sitting in parliament And they obviously spoke up for issues that were affecting women. But, you know, as those gradually got introduced, then we see, you know, the more gender equal a society is, the more it benefits everyone in the society. It's not a zero sum game. So the more women that were being involved in the workforce, the more successful companies there were, you know, and the more gender equal the countries are overall, the longer living they are, the happier their populations are. So I think people start to see the benefits for everybody and, and that encourages everybody to be involved. So why do you think more countries haven't done this? Why have the women of other countries not taken the day off? Because like, it's one day in 1975 and look at everything you've got. Mm. I mean, we have an advantage because we're a very small country. So even now we're only 350,000 people. So it's much easier to make change. Uh, and maybe that's the idea because it's such a huge issue that... As individuals, sometimes it can seem overwhelming. You know, it can seem like it's like the climate crisis. We just think, well, if I recycle this right now, is it really going to matter? But I think hopefully what I'm trying to do a little bit with the book that I wrote, because I speak to about 40 different women throughout Icelandic society in the book, is to show that we shouldn't be leaving this up to our elected officials. We should be trying to make changes in our daily lives. And while things like the, the legal system, while things like subsidized childcare are important, really achieving gender equality has to do with a lot more. It has to do with supporting our women's football team as much as we support our men's football team and listening to music by women as much as we listen to music by men and thinking about how we are representing women in the media 
and not uh, slut shaming women and, you know, all kinds of other things. So there's a whole lot of dimensions to this that aren't just, well, if you introduce excellent parental leave, then things should be pretty good. I find as a former reader of Heat, that's quite hypocritical from you, the uh, the last thing about slut shaming women. That's all I'm going to say. So I'm just going to leave that there on the table, Eliza Reed. We can change. We can change. No, not- I didn't say I loved Heat. We all had a sneaky peek at Heat back in the day. We all had a sneaky peek at Heat. Like I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I never looked at it. Um, just jokes. Like people look to Iceland and they compare their countries uh, to Iceland and it feels like it's the future how do you get more rights now that you have a lot of rights like compared to other countries is the conversation different that's an interesting one actually yeah if you're the best do men not say you're in the best place in the world mm-hmm. shut up <laughs> yeah I don't think so I mean you know and it's a thing that I you know there's no Icelandic woman who's like yeah it's pretty good I'm 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 happy the way that it is and and I think that's the way that we move forward is by uh, being vigilant. Uh, vigilant sounds like such a tiring word though, really, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of, it doesn't, you know, it's not like the bath and the bath bombs kind of thing. So it, it's kind of always wearing the, the gender equality glasses and, mm. and remembering, kind of remembering to leave no group behind. So, uh, you know, in, in Iceland, for example, I would say three areas that we really need to focus on are to do with women in the boardroom. We, when I wrote this book, there was no women leading any of the companies that were traded on the Icelandic stock exchange. There are still more men called Arnie who are running companies on the Icelandic stock exchange than there are women. Mm. It's not a terribly rare name, but nevertheless, um, we, uh, we still need to work on better enshrining the rights of non-binary individuals and trans women into law and trans people. And we have made changes there as well. Uh, You can, for instance, in Iceland, uh, surnames, we use this sort of traditionally patronymic or names where you take a a first name and add son or daughter. And now if you have a gender neutral registration, you can actually have the ending bur, which means descendant. So you can use the sort of Icelandic traditional way in a gender neutral way. Um, And a third area, which is really dear to my heart, is uh, women of foreign origin, because there are uh, an increasing number of of immigrants in Iceland, including myself, people of foreign origin. And, uh, you know, women of foreign origin do face additional challenges here that people who are born and raised in the country don't face. And, you know, Iceland, like the other Nordic countries, also is victims of what we call this Nordic paradox, which is this idea that there are actually higher reported cases of gender-based violence and domestic violence than there are in many other countries. And that sounds, exactly, that sounds very, wait a minute, you're this, you're doing well in gender. Why do you have all these high cases? And part of the reason, we don't know enough, but that could be because there is less stigma attached with talking about situations like this. It could be because there's greater trust with the police, more inclination to report things. It could be that the, you know, because of the definition of what constitutes gender-based violence and sexual assault might be broader, but we don't know for sure. And obviously any situations are too many situations. And, you know, Iceland is, uh, continues to be rocked by Me Too scandals all the time. So there's definitely a lot of, a lot of work to be done um, here as well. Not trying to be a downer, guys. No, no, I mean, I was, <laughs> no, no, no. No, not at all. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested in what you're saying there. And I think we forget about that. We forget that the communities where there is more faith in the police, where there is uh, less stigma 
against the survivor and more stigma against mm-hmm. the perpetrator, you will see more reports. So somewhere that has no reports might be the worst place for gender-based violence and sexual assault. Um, but as you say, you don't want you don't want any, and the fact that it it seems high by any metric is something that you want to combat. How do you, in your role as first lady, deal with that? Mm-hmm. Well, I try to speak up about it a lot. Again, I think because I, I'm I'm always very careful not to be political about it. You know, I my husband isn't in a political party. It's not uh, his place. It's not my place. A sort of implicated with the office of the president to say we need to invest more money in this or we need to pass X law or Y legislation. But just the fact that I am trying to speak up about gender equality as a whole, I think uh, shows something about it. The fact that I'm an immigrant and I speak Icelandic with an accent, I think is very important. I think it's important for people in the country to see that just because I make grammatical errors and uh, and I speak with an accent, that that doesn't mean I don't have something worthy to say. And, uh, And it just keeps these issues on on the table, I hope. You mentioned before about queer and trans communities. Iceland is known to have uh, a progressive view on these things. What drives that, do you think? And what are you proud of in terms of the way that Iceland has made space for queer people mm-hmm. and particularly those who are gender fluid? I think that... You know, again, the fact that we're a small society has been an advantage. So I knew, for instance, in this book that I wanted to interview at least one non-binary individual or trans woman for the book. And I immediately could think of several people that I knew that would fall into that category just through living in the country. And um, with the the person that I spoke to, Ukla Stefania, they were mentioning to me that, you know, in Iceland, when you kind of know people, it it removes any sort of fear of the unknown. We see how much more similar we all we all are to each other. And again, you know that that smallness has um, has really yeah just just mean that we don't have time to have all these hangups about different things. It's all hands on deck to have a functioning society to be able to achieve what we want to achieve. I talk a lot about, I guess what you could call a sort of open attitude towards sexuality in general in Iceland. And that might also be because it's not, uh, we're not a terribly religious society or dogmatically religious in that sense. And again, I think that that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no expert. This is just my own anecdotal sense of it. It's just that, you know, again, people have seen, have seen that, oh, society hasn't shut down when most people who have children together aren't married first. And, um, you know, okay, we do have Europe's highest rate of chlamydia infections. So there are maybe a couple of of downsides sometimes. Swings and roundabouts. I'm loving all these factoids. I am loving all (laughs) (laughs) these. I discovered this when I was researching the book. If you Google Reykjavik handshake on Urban Dictionary, you'll find something interesting. Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. Wow. You are a true ambassador for your country. Yes. Wow. Beautiful. I, mean, oh my I hope 100%. that's not the pull quote from this whole interview. No, yeah. genuinely. Check out Reykjavik handshake. The Reykjavik genuinely, handshake. I was like, I really want to go to Iceland. And now I want to go more. Now you're just really selling it to me. Totally. That's incredible. The high chlamydia infection? Yeah, it's like an Irish <laughs> yeah. goodbye. A Reykjavik handshake. handshake. Um, <laughs> I think it probably is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
can I ask, how do Icelandic feminists see the attitude towards trans people in Britain at the moment? Um, I think it makes them sad. I don't want to speak for all feminists in Iceland, but actually the, the trans activist who I speak to my book, Ugla Stefania, lives in the UK and is very active under the monocle Owl Fisher in, in London, the UK, and does interviews and said, you know, I when I go and do an interview in the UK, I have to kind of psych myself up for a battle and it's tiring. And when I'm in Iceland, I, you know, get asked tough questions and, and that's fair, but it's never an aggressive antagonistic approach. And I feel like I can just breathe here. And, uh, you know, that, that made me proud to be an Icelander and have a, an incredible amount of admiration for Ukla and for other people who are in this role, because, you know, yes, I say that I talk about, uh, I like to talk about gender equality and we have to be vigilant, but I'm in an incredibly privileged position. You know, I, you know, okay, I'm an immigrant, but I am a white, educated, cis, heterosexual immigrant who has English as a first language and is married to the head of state of the country. So, you know, for me to say that I'm speaking up about this, you know, I don't deserve any points for that. But for people who really put a lot on the line or for people who have to be kind of representing this battle 24 seven, that has to be exhausting. And I, and I bear a tremendous amount of admiration for people who are vigilant about it because it is so important and who are doing so in such a, such an optimistic way, you know, not doing it because they think this will never change. And I kind of have to do it, but actually thinking that, you know, it's having a positive change and a positive effect. And I, and I, I think that that is true. And, and that's the case. So a big shout out to all of those people out there. We should. I, I know that you have a lot of them on the, the podcast a lot, which is great because that's what we need to be doing is, is listening to all kinds of voices. I just, yeah, I just sometimes wonder how the UK is seen uh, in that way because there's such a, uh, I mean, there are many, many trans allies here, but I also worry mm -hmm. that we are getting a reputation for mm -hmm. being very hostile trans people. And and it, I think it's it's very useful for a feminist in Britain to hear that and know that. Mm -hmm. They can all come to visit Iceland. We would love to uh, to show you around here. What What are the COVID restrictions at the moment? Are, are you genuinely welcoming tourists at the moment? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it seems to change all the time. But if you're fully vaccinated, yes, then uh, you should come and uh, enjoy yourself here. The bars aren't open so late now. I mean, we have restrictions, obviously, once you're here. Uh, but uh, but we All the more time to get like a Reykjavik handshake. That's absolutely. <laughs> Is that the new tourist slogan, Deborah? Oh my goodness! I <laughs> earlier, so more time to get yourself a Reykjavik handshake. <laughs> um, Amazing! I think the beautiful thing about the way you speak about Iceland kind of makes me. It reminds me of podcasts in a way. When you podcast and when you talk to people that you don't really know or never met before or whatever, you can hear their point of view and it's no longer scary or you're no longer curious about it and it just opens up and just your country sounds so beautiful and I'm so excited for this book and for, yeah. I want. I want to. I'm now going to look you up on everything now. After. Oh, <laughs> thank you very much. I'll feel validated. Yeah, um, no. Eliza, finally, for people who yeah. are going to buy a book, I would like you to talk a little bit about the sagas within, because you talk about your experiences, mm -hmm. you talk about Iceland, 
uh, your experience and your position there. But the sagas are so interesting. Could you just speak a little bit about them? Absolutely. Um, so I, I guess they also are comprised of my own kind of sagas in the story. But the Icelandic sagas that a lot of people might know are these old tales. It's Iceland's traditional contribution to literature that have inspired people like Tolkien and Wagner over the ages. And they are old stories um, that were written hundreds of years ago about the time of the settlement of the country in around the, the uh, ninth century. And they're very dramatic tales of warfare and love and conflict and family drama, family sagas, if you will. And they, you know, yes, there are more male characters in it. And yes, the men have more speaking time, but there are nevertheless some strong female characters in it that have been an influence on women today. And in my book, um, I try, I have a few little vignettes of strong women from Icelandic history, just to showcase the types of role models that women here are grown up with. But, you know, a lot of the book is taken up with interviews with modern people around the country, you know, a, a comedian and a football player and a mayor and a sex counselor and, and just regular people of different ages from around the country. And hopefully they can also provide some inspiration because the idea is that they're just like you and me and the people that we know, you know, they're not untouchable people who have, have done things that are unreachable to the rest of us. And so hopefully hearing some of the, the modern sagas and the modern stories about women in the country who are just living their lives, really, they're, they don't necessarily consider themselves activists or feminists even. Uh, they're just living their lives. And, and hopefully that can still provide some inspiration to people as to, to what we can be doing wherever we live in the world to further this cause. Eliza, could you read us a little bit of one of the sagas from your book? Sure. This is from the first one. It's called the Saga Era Spraki. That's the singular of Spraka, who defied convention. I am very demanding when it comes to men, admitted Hallgerður Höskuldsdóttir to her suitor, Gunnar of Hlíðarendi, when he asked for her hand in marriage on the very day they met. She was not exaggerating. The strong-willed and vengeful Hallgerður was married three times, Gunnar being her final husband. Thanks to an increasingly intense feud with Bergþóra, the wife of Gunnar's best friend, several men were killed at the behest of the two women. And that final husband? Hallgerður was directly responsible for his demise, too. Hallgerður was known by the nickname Longlegs, recognition of both her height and her hair, which was soft as silk and grew down to her waist. This beautiful woman lived in the late 10th century. We know her story today from Njal's saga, the longest and arguably greatest of the many Icelandic sagas. Proud and honourable, she was not shy about expressing her displeasure with her husband's behaviour or with any indignities she felt she suffered. When famine ravaged the land, Hallgerður instructed her servant, Malcolm, to rob a neighbouring farm for food. Theft, notabene, is one of the worst sins one can commit in the sagas. When Gunnar returned home to discover a feast, he realised the dishonour that Hallgerður's instructions had brought upon the household and slapped her across the face. Hallgerður did not react, other than to say she would remember the injustice and pay him back. Years later, Hathgeder found her opportunity. Do you want the ending in one nutshell? That basically 
you know, he slapped her once. Yeah. And years later, he's ambushed in his home and he rushes into the house and he says, Hathgather, I need a lock of your long hair to use in my bow and arrow because my bow and arrow has broke. And she says, basically, remember that time you slapped me? No way. Forget about it. <laughs> and she won't lend, give him her hair and he goes out and he gets killed. So Whoa. Wow. there is an example of a, a, an early Spracky. That's so, incredible because nowadays the Taylor Swift would just sing a song about it. You know what I mean? Like it's great to have, it's great to have the ultimate revenge. <laughs> yes. These are like classics, aren't they? They're like like uh, classical tales of like Beowulf or something like that. But yes. there's stuff in there that you can read about how women felt deeply their injustices and how they used the power that they had and what is at the beating ancient heart of Iceland and its desire for gender equality. So I found them really fascinating to read. Listeners get this book. It is currently on pre-order and it is called Secrets of the Spraka by Eliza Reed. Listeners, I fully recommend you go on holiday to Iceland and buy this book and read it on the plane on the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it's published in the UK on International Women's Day. So nice. hopefully people will remember the occasion of it. comes out a wee bit earlier in North America. Great. You certainly, can I say, are a spracker yourself, Eliza. Am I saying that? Can you tell me, teach me how to pronounce it? Yeah, the singular is spracky. Spracky. So, spracky. Uh, okay. Yeah, but you, together, I can, I feel like we can say we are Spracker. Oh, yeah, obviously. We, we three spracker. here are Spracker. Yeah, proper yeah. Sprackers we are. Yeah. <laughs> spracker. There's no S, there's no S. But uh, we are very, very honoured to have you here today as uh, a Spracky. Uh, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say, Eliza? Oh, gosh. I should have uh, thought maybe about that first. No, not really. It's just I'm really excited to be on this program it's an honor for me to have been asked as well and keep doing keep up all the good work it's great to hear everything you're doing thank you very much what i should ask is do you have an i'm a feminist but oh yeah i can give you two and you can choose which one you want i guess yeah i've just thought of these left of my head i am a feminist but this is the first interview i have ever trusted myself to use ear pods with because i couldn't figure out all the tech behind it before now Uh, we we are delighted to hear that because yeah Alison had a big old struggle today I only didn't because Tom was here making it all happen honestly (laughs) you need to get yourself a Tom Uh, I do I do (laughs) (laughs) I am also um, I'm also a feminist but uh, every Christmas for the last few Christmases I've baked 17 kinds of cookies to eat over the holidays because I love baking and someone uh, sort of dared me once and said traditional Icelandic women used to have to m- make many, many varieties of cookies during Advent. So I took it upon myself as a challenge to Amazing. try. Amazing. What was your least favorite cookie from that variety? <sighs> the ones that are kind of a palaver to make, okay. you know, stuff with layers or extra decoration, that kind of thing. Yeah, you eat it and then you remember. What's the most yeah. delicious one? Uh, oh, the most delicious one by far is um, Canadian Nanaimo bars. And any Canadian listeners you have will know exactly what I'm talking about. And other people, after they Google Reykjavik handshake, should Google Nanaimo <laughs> Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Loving that. Uh, do you, are, you a, are you a big star in Canada? Are they like, well done, you've gone abroad and you've represented for Canada? 
Well, you know, I think one of the similarities between Canada and Iceland is we both have this kind of quote unquote small nation complex. So Iceland, obviously, because we are a small nation in Canada, because we have this massive nation uh, right next to us. So when my husband was first elected, it was on the news a lot. And now I think, I don't think that I'm broadly known, but I think it's kind of a quirky fact. You know, all Canadians know famous Canadians when they come on TV shows or something. My kids are always teasing me about it. And if you see someone, oh, she's Canadian or oh, he's Canadian. And they're like, stop, mom stop mentioning it. So maybe in obscure circles, people are like, oh, the fr- well, Iceland, their first lady is Canadian. That sort of thing. <laughs> excellent. Really excellent. Alison Spittle, do you have anything to plug? Oh, uh, yeah. Wheel of Misfortune is still going strong. Uh, Fern's no longer on the podcast, but there's so many episodes of her on it. She's amazing. She's still my mate. It's all good. She's just got too much going on this year. And uh, we got guest co-hosts. I'm really excited about that. We got Jade Adams is coming up, and uh, May. Uh, who else? Uh, Lauren Pattinson and uh, uh, Poppy Hillstead. And I'm really, really excited about the new episodes we've got coming out. And uh, my old podcast, The Alison Spittle Show, is still happening. Uh, I'm going to be doing Cambridge uh, Comedy Festival and uh, McClanlife, I think and uh, Edinburgh as well I'm still in two minds about what to call my show Deborah. I'm either going to call it Wet or um, Silent Wetness those are my two names and if Guilty Feminists want to ask tell me which to call it I'm very very open to it find Alison on social media at Alison Spittle on Instagram and on Twitter although I'm trying to stay off it but uh, do find me there well you people could always go on and, and vote what they think the mm. show title could be, and then you can look at it once a week or so and see what everyone's voted for. You could do a poll. Oh, I'm going to do, do a, a poll, poll so hard, Deborah. Do yeah. a poll so hard. And you can see <laughs> me and Alison at Vicar Street in Dublin on the 14th of March. Do not miss it. Maybe we'll find some more Irish funeral or even wedding customs that you could tell me about there because I have found today fascinating. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Alison Spittle. Hey, bye. Um, Eliza, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for coming. A big round of applause for Eliza Reed. Eliza, it was amazing. So, so good. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host Alison Spittle, and our very special guest, Eliza Reed. Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon and producer was Tom Selinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craft, Gina DCO and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Woo! Woo, 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 Oh, 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 yeah! That's it. <laughs> Do Icelandic people get offended when they come to Britain that we have named a really discount supermarket after your whole country? <laughs> Well, people just know about it. It comes up in our Google alerts all the time. I think that's the only... Everybody has an Iceland Google alert. And right. it's always like, woman in Barnsley, stop because of Iceland. You're like, no, that's not That's not us. That's not yeah. us. Or, <laughs> no. If you ever get a, the other Iceland. It's like, you ever get a Google alert that's like, Iceland is on the brink, brink of collapse. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah, and then and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, Iceland's got into receivership. No. Um, it yeah. hasn't. It hasn't. Iceland's alive and well. That's, but that's but why we did, well, we did have a moment in- was a big... Right. Yeah. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com